on a second. We're okay, we're going to start over. We just Let's missed a great introduction from myself and from Mark. We're going to do this all again. We only caught it in the first five minutes. I apologize to Mark. You caught it. I Well, it was in five minutes, but I good love your you. stories. Well, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, good for you. You caught it. It didn't take an hour to catch it. It's all good. Yeah, well, it is all good. And I'll, I'll tell people exactly what I told them five minutes ago or tried to tell them five minutes ago is that Mark came to me for some self-sabotage coaching education. And when I was talking to him, I could feel his power. I could feel this was a unique human being. I could feel he had a huge, a huge message to give to the world. And Mark is going to explain probably during this interview why you might not have heard of him, even though he, I find his philosophy equal to people like Anthony Robbins, because he has a very unique life approach where he has very unique goals where he wants time for his family. He wants time to read. He wants time to research. And he wants time for personal development. And I thought this message, if this is the only hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes that we get with Mark, so he can share with us his personal life philosophy, I made a promise to myself after he completely bowled me over with his energy when I first talked to him, I made a promise to myself that I would have to do something so other people in the world could get access to his knowledge. And I know the way information works. One bit of information can completely change your life. And when I heard Mark talking, I everything he said, sentence after sentence after sentence was changing my life. And I've heard a lot of powerful speakers. And because of Mark, because I felt so impacted by the way he was looking at life, I started to think about bigger and bigger projects with empowered speakers. Mark's my first one. I put a post on Facebook today asking for maybe 20. I got 100. And I thought, you know, this is really what humanity needs to hear powerful speakers, to hear focused humans doing things they love. Because Mark would always tell, well, told me last time when I was talking about why people are in the rut, why people are in the daily grind, and how he lives his life to get over that every single day and passes it on to his clients. I thought was absolutely amazing. So I'm really pleased to be talking to Mark right now. I have some questions set aside. I don't know if we're going to get through them all. And he was into, you know, we missed the recording button. He was about five minutes into a his life story, which is completely fascinating about where he was and how he turned this around. And these are the kind of stories that really change people's life, lives because I've seen my story change people's life in regards to where I started and where Mark started, his challenges were 10 times, maybe a hundred times worse than mine. So these are the people that need center stage in our, in our society right now. So I'm pleased to have Mark. Uh, sorry about not hitting the record button, Mark, about uh, 10 minutes ago. Thanks for your patience. So let's start off with this one question. Let's recap 
that beautiful five minutes that you started with. Tell the listeners a little bit about your story. Uh, yeah, thank you, Jason. Thank you for that, you know, kind introduction. Uh, my name is Mark Provost. And, you know, I grew up one of four. Uh, my mom, a single mom, raised the four of us. And my other three siblings uh, had a different father, but I didn't know that until, you know, my early adolescent years. And so we all had the last name, same last name. Uh, but the environment, even though I didn't know it at the time, I was surrounded by addiction. I was surrounded by emotionally unmet needs. Um, all addiction arises from emotionally unmet needs, especially as a child. And how we get those needs is we fill that void with something that gives us that momentary thrill. My, my brother and many of my first cousins, it was drugs and alcohol. There was always alcohol and cocaine and everybody drank coffee. Everybody gambled. I mean, we were literally living in an environment of addiction. Um, those addictions took my oldest brother's li life at 45 years old. Uh, he had three small children. And then my siblings, uh, my two remaining siblings struggle. I love them very much, but they struggle to this day. Um, lost many first cousins due to drugs and alcohol overdoses. Um, and so I grew up uh, in that environment. And I remember at 12 years old, I was watching my older brother play football. He was a very talented athlete. And I got introduced to the town bookie. His name was Joe Black. And I loved Joe. He was a kind man who took me in. And I was also a very talented athlete. And all I did was play basketball and go to the batting cages and my brothers loved it because they protected me because they wanted to keep me away from the drugs in the in the the addiction that they were suffering. And even my older sister, I was sort of guarded. I was the baby of the family. And but I got this gambling addiction at a very young age. And I filled that emotionally unmet need with gambling. Um, so my life was all set for me. You know, you graduate high school where I grew up. You get a job. I got a job at the local fish plant cutting fish. Everybody was miserable. Everybody wanted to beat the crap out of you. It was all about let's get to Friday night. Let's party. Let's get drunk. Um, let's get high. And for me, it was, okay, graduated high school. Didn't think I was smart enough to go to college because of what I was told. Get a job. Don't worry about college. Make money. Find a way to exist. And I always knew that there was a voice inside of me that said, no, there's got to be something more to this. But I didn't really follow that voice. I listened to my environment. My subconscious mind had been programmed, as Jason would say. So what I did was I took that job at a fish plant for a couple of years. I got my ass kicked in a few times. Um, at that time, I was a compulsive gambler, gambling on football and basketball, never much into the lottery. Just if you can't play sports, which I was always playing. The second best thing is to gamble on them. Look at Wayne Gretzky, look at Michael Jordan, look at, you know, Brett, Brett Hull, you know, you look at some of these uh, top athletes, Charles Barkley, they become Allen Iverson. They become uh, compulsive gamblers because it's the next best thing. If you can't participate, then gambling on them makes you more than an observer. You become a participant. Right. right. So I did that. And then I, then I was always good with numbers, right? So I always understood numbers and percentages. And I met a girl, right? We all meet a girl. I met a girl in my early 20s. I think I was 22. I met this beautiful, um, just beautiful African-American woman who stunned me. And I had very little experience. 
um, with girls, even in my early 20s, because all I did was gamble and play sports and gamble on sports. Right. So um, this girl's beauty just bowled me over. And I remember we started dating and I fell instantly in love. And she was one year older than I. And I remember telling me, her telling me, you got to get away from your mom. You're this mommy's boy. Right. And you need to get a full time job and get away from, you know, working at that time. I was working for my uncle in his window washing business. And so I entered the post office and I scored like really high in the test because it was all based on numbers and percentages. And I scored like off the charts. So I became a postal worker in my early 20s delivering mail. But I was miserable. And it just it literally kept the gambling addiction going. And so I came to a point in my life at about 25. I'm still with this amazing woman, even though I'm trying to break the relationship up. At that time, I knew nothing about the subconscious mind. But I and I wasn't a reader because all I did was gamble and deliver mail and, you know, go out with my girlfriend. But my subconscious mind was trying desperately to get me to break up with this amazing woman. And it would do things like, you know, she's trying to change you. She's not the woman you thought she was. And all I did was see infidelity and broken relationships growing up, you know, and in and, and anger and vitriol, you know, after the beginning stages, the honeymoon effect, I never saw really any good relationships, husbands and wives respecting and loving each other. You didn't see any Cosby show stuff. Right. Uh, so, uh, and I remember my mom, God bless her, she was my greatest teacher and she's gone now, she's transitioned. But I remember her telling me that my girlfriend at that time was changing me. So she was adding to it. She was, the vibration was so strong, that painful vibration that my mother and even some uncles and friends were saying, what are you doing? You, this relationship isn't for you. And so I, I kind of broke up from the relationship. I took a break and I started dating um, another woman and I remember my, at that time I was living with my, uh, another mailman in a town about 30 minutes away from where I grew up. And he looked at me and he said, it was one of those pivotal moments. I was in my mid twenties and he said, what are you doing? And his name was Wayne. I said, what do you mean? What am I doing? He says, the girl you're dating looks exactly like Vicky. She's beautiful. She's dark. She's exactly like Vicky. And what are you doing? I don't understand what's wrong with Vicky. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm just ducking responsibility. I don't want that mortgage. I don't want to get married. I don't want that responsibility. I'm miserable in my life, and I'm taking it out on my relationship. So I called Vicky back, and I said, please have me back. I'm a knucklehead. My subconscious mind is trying to ruin my relationship with you. I didn't say those words, but now I can say those words. And, and so I did that. And in my mid-20s, I said, I'm done in the post office. I'm, re- I'm resigning. This is miserable. It's just continuing with my addiction. I love fitness. I love exercise. I love nutrition. I'm going in that way direction. And I did. And, um, and it's just for the last 27 years, it's been heaven on earth, Jason, because I followed that voice. I remember I went into my mom and I said, Mom, uh, I'm going to resign from the post office. And she said she was horrified. What do you mean? People would die for that job. Security, benefits. I said, no, no. My only goal in life is to love what I do for a living. I need Mondays and Fridays to feel the same to me. I'm a compulsive gambler. I'm going nowhere. I need to make some changes in my life. And one of them is getting out of this repetitive, repetitive, miserable job. And it's good for some people. And I respect that. But it wasn't good for Mark Provost. So I resigned April 25th. 
1996. I still yeah. remember the day. I wrote down five short-term goals, five long-term goals. I remember laughing when I was writing down my long-term goals, never thinking they could come true. I still remember. I still, I just had my 26th anniversary, March 24th, 1996. I made those goals and I just celebrated 26 years. And I still remember my short-term goals. I still remember my long-term goals. And I started checking them off one by one, Jason. And then once you get, as I would teach my students at university, once you get on that stream where you're following your passion and your life calling, it's a tailwind. It's no more headwind, brother. It's a tailwind where you start God, whatever you believe God is, I believe it's a loving, intelligent energy. You know, it's this infinite loving intelligence and it just gets behind you. And my life has been guided ever since. And my mother said, no one in this family likes what they do for a living. Why should you be any different? And I oh, looked oh, at her in the eye oh, wow. and I said, mom, mom, I'm going to be different. And I didn't say that with arrogance, even though she probably took it that way. And there was a lot. I mean, my mom and I had a very um, acrimonious relationship for the last 20 years of our lives. I loved her dearly, but it was painful because when you bring a loving, kind, thoughtful, happy, joyous vibration to others, even in your own family who are miserable, who have lived a life of addiction, and that vibration doesn't go well, they want to kick the shit out of you. And I know you talk about that, Jason, you know, the first line, the second line, when you start overcoming your own self-sabotage, I experienced all three. I didn't experience the third level where I started, you know, hurting myself subconsciously to kind of fit with the herd. Uh, maybe I did somewhere, but uh, so that's my life story. And that's got me um, the first 25 years of my life. So I followed that dream and I, you know, married that woman uh, 25 years later this year, we have two beautiful daughters and we're living in a, in a beautiful community. I have a business in that community. I make more money than I ever thought I'd make. Um, I'm I, the business has transformed. You know, I had to get away from the hourly employee I decided, okay, I went through graduate school. I was being indoctrinated to be a bartender, even though I already had a successful business as a, um, as a health psychologist. And so what I do now is I, I provide my clients with the emotional, spiritual, physical, and nutritional tools to help them thrive in their lives. Yeah. So your, your website has, does your website, your website is uh is it pro like, tell me the website because it does have on the website. Is it like a three prong approach? Yeah, that that's, correct. that's correct. It's provost P R O V O S T dash training, com, And it will bring you right to the website. And it's a three tier, you know, there's, there's emotional well-being, there's nutritional well-being and there's physical well-being. And that's how I break my um, programs. Um, now, and, and, you know, every client is different. You know, some clients I walk in nature with and we take forest baths. I call them forest baths where we listen to the birds. And I was just with a client yesterday. She's been with me 12 years and she came to me at 185 pounds and on six medications and had miserable relationships with her, you know, husband and family members and terrible knee problems. And I looked at her and I said, you know, do you trust me? And she said, quite honestly, it's going to take me a couple of years to trust you totally. And once she began to trust me, um, we've been together 11 years. And she said, the program has saved your life. And 
what we did was we got her to love herself. And I haven't even talked about that. The pilgrimage for me was, even though I was making a good living and I owned my own business in the early 2000s and I had this beautiful wife and family, I was still unhappy. I was going to a psychologist every two weeks, um, driving into Boston. Uh, I live in a suburb outside of Boston, about 40 minutes and uh, going to see a, a psychologist. And it wasn't until uh, a client invited me to do a 21 day meditation program in 2007. And I started meditating daily, every day. And it began changing my life. I still had that compulsive gambling habit, but getting back to that client I spoke about yesterday, I'm sorry to skip all around. She helped me as much as I helped her. There's right. something called therapeutic alliance. And Carl Rogers, who's one of my favorite psychologists in the 1950s, he talks about um, um, unconditional positive regard. And I remember it was 2012 and I'm with this woman, I'm training her and she's losing weight. She's feeling better. Her knee pain's going away. I'm telling her, get rid of the medications. They're just, they're just killing you slowly. They enervate your nervous system. They destroy your immune system. I explained her the mechanics. She started getting off all her medications, losing weight, really focusing on a plant-based diet. She wasn't 100% plant-based. I don't ask for anyone to be 100% plant-based, but I tell you, the more plants, the more fruits, the more vegetables, the more healthy whole grains you eat, the healthier your body's going to feel and your body's going to just lose the weight it needs to lose. And so um, she said to me, I'll never forget it 10 years ago. Hey, Mark, uh, tell your daughters that you're a compulsive gambler. And at that time, they were nine and five. Wow. And I remember I looked at my daughters across the table in my, in my kitchen. And my wife's like, oh, boy, what's going to come out of his mouth? And I just had a rocky weekend gambling and uh, lost some money. And I stormed out of the house. And I was, I was, you know, I was mercurial. You know, I was moody because it all depended on how much money I had in my gambling account. And, and even though I was running a business and bringing home good money and my wife was at home with the girls and we were living what everybody would think, especially my family, the ideal life, I was dying inside because I knew I could be something better. I knew that I could live the best version of Mark Anthony Provost, but how could I overcome this addiction that I got when I was 12? So what I, what I did was I did lots of praying, lots of meditating. Um, and I looked at my daughters and I said, hey, girls, um, I just want to let you know, Ellen, Naomi, I love you very much. But your father is a compulsive gambler. And uh, when he see me storm off on the weekends, and you see me being a little bit moody. No, it's not your fault. You guys are perfect. I love you guys. You guys are the best thing that ever happened to mommy and daddy. I just, I have some things to overcome. And I never want you to have the same unmet emotional needs that I had. And so I just want to let you know, I love you. And I'll get through that. And I'll be honest with you, Jason. By Rebecca telling me to tell, by Rebecca telling me to tell my daughters, I began to heal. It healed me. Those tears that you see right now, those are tears of healing. And the meditation, even though it happened, it was going on for five years and it was increasing five, 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, every day, self-love meditation. I love you, Mark. I love you, Mark. I love you, Mark. From that moment on, I was unstoppable because I remember saying to my friends, all gamblers in high school, meeting friends and going to Vegas. I remember saying, I'm done. I love you guys. I want the best for you. You don't have to stop. I need to stop. And I knew I was sitting on this lottery ticket. I knew that if I stopped, I could start reading books. All that time would free up. Reading books, spend more time meditating. Be with my best friend, which is my little Australian mini labradoodle, Max. He and I'd be in nature. God's secrets would come to me. They would show themselves. And 
you could put me in Vegas now with a hundred thousand. I'd find a gym. I'd eat great food. I'd play about two hours of tennis a day because my whole family are tennis fanatics. And I've healed, brother. I've healed. And I just want that for everybody, that emotional, spiritual, physical, nutritional well-being. And I'm convinced because most of my clients, to be perfectly honest, don't listen to me. They well, don't. That, that's a bit odd. And let's that's we'll get back to that. But I want people, when people hear stories like this, they usually think, okay, he's a trainer. And I want people to know you're much more than a trainer. And I want you to give inspiration like you gave it to me in regards to what sort of your fee structure is. And that fee structure, if I'm not mistaken, is there specifically to accomplish what you just stated. Time in nature with Max. Right. Time right. with your daughters, because this is sometimes what entrepreneurs are missing. What mm -hmm. I want everybody listening here to know is that Mark is not a standard by the hour trainer that has accomplished great things business wise under the old conventional training model or coaching model. So if you could elaborate, yes, the lady's been with you for 12 years. But if you could sort of break down, are you okay breaking down your fees to let people know these things are possible, that these are achievable financial levels of, uh, you know, income? Are you okay? I mean, you don't have to state your income, but what do you charge your, your people, right? Like if I come on with you, like, what are you going to charge me? You said for, was it one time a week? How much is it a month? I don't charge by the month. I So great question, Jason. And I'm happy to be 100. I believe in authenticity. I believe in honesty. I believe in transparency. So um, in vulnerability. So I'm willing to be vulnerable to your listeners because I've, I've been one of your listeners for the last couple of years, blown away by you. So I'm happy to reciprocate. Um, so what happened was at that time that I was able to stop gambling and it freed up so much time. I didn't want to be that hourly employee anymore. And I remember one of my clients, one of my big clients, who was a very intelligent man and kind and been loyal to my practice. He said, there's nothing more soul crushing than being an hourly employee. I don't care if you make a thousand dollars an hour. It is soul crushing. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me. And I said, OK, he was the first client who said, I'll always remember. He said one time we were on this beautiful field that where my studio is, it's this 90 acres in a beautiful town, a rural town. And he said to me on the field, he said, I would give anything for, you know, to have a one shot, one stop shopping. You know, I want that personal trainer. I want that nutritionist. I want that psychologist. I want that yoga meditation teacher. I want that natural path. I want that caring friend. And he said, you're the guy. And he, and he said, okay. Uh, and he gave me a price and it was more money than, you know, uh, my family ever made. It was, it was a lot of money. And, you know, I grew up very poor on welfare. Um, and even though I was making a good living at that time, I was putting tons and tons of hours in. And so at that point, he became my first client. He, I said, oh, how about if I charge you this by the quarter? And he said, all right, I'm in. And it was a huge amount of money. Right. right? right. And he's like, I'm in. He was wildly successful in business. I'm in. And I knew from there that this is the direction I had to take the business. It took me two years. And it took me blood, sweat, and tears, Jason. And what I meant by that was I knew I had 40 to 50 clients who were going to be very angry with me. 
because I was growing the business and I was spiritually growing. And so I went from the hourly employee in 2010 to this quarterly guy for this one very successful client. And then I said, okay, I took two years and I pretty much let all my clients know. Now they've been with me, most of them since 1996, 1997, when I resigned from the post office and started my own practice. I gave, so I was with them 15 years and it's hard when you start changing your model because they take it personally. But I said, okay, I'm getting off the hourly employee. I, I, I've grown and I know you have too. And this is business, but I need to charge you by the quarter now. And what that means is you need to have skin in the game. Right. I'm going to be your personal trainer. I'm going to be your nutritionist. I'm going to be your psychologist. I'm going to be your yoga and meditation teacher. I'm going to be your naturopath. I'm going to read all your numbers you're going to get from your medical doctor, which we know is a scam. You know, I'm going to read it all. I'm going to tell it. I'm going to give you books to read. I'm going to do all the, all the work for you. And I'm going to be your caring friend. I'm going to wear six hats, but I'm going to charge you for all six hats. If you were to go looking for all these six hats, you'd pay a lot more. And so I had a once a week fee, what I charged, and then a twice a week fee. So I would charge clients based on $4,000 if they wanted to see me one, once a week, a quarter. So that would be a $16,000 a year client. Right. But they don't just get me once a week. I'm 24-7. Right. They see me once a week. And I made, and I'm going to tell you something. This is how important meditating is, people. This is how important sitting alone in a quiet room. I think of that great quote by Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French philosopher. All men's miseries are derived from their inability to sit alone in a quiet room. Well, once I stopped gambling, I started sitting alone in that quiet room. I started sitting alone in nature. And it was like God was whispering in my ear. I didn't think of this idea. This quarterly program, I never heard about it. I never heard one personal trainer ever do it. I got told, you're acting like a lawyer. You, you know, you're, you're, you're getting paid like a lawyer get paid. You know, it's who, who does this? I'm like, well, I'm doing it because I'm not doing hourly anymore. Right. So I, and, and I'll do all those things. I'll be a personal training nutritionist and I'm skilled. You know, I went to graduate school, got all the certifications and most of my clients left. Right. Okay. But the clients that stayed, paid me and made up for it and new clients came in and it was a leap of faith. So in 2012, now I've go from 2011, having 45 clients, you know, making a good living. Now I got 15 clients, two thirds of my clientele gone. And I did everything to end the relationships harmoniously. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes you couldn't do that because some of them felt betrayed. Wait a minute. You know, I paid you four or $5,000 a year for 10 years. And now you're telling me you're tripling my well, I gave you. So that's, that's sort of how I do it. Now I am a quarterly player and it puts skin in the, it adds skin in the game. If the client is going to cancel, they've already paid for the quarter. So now they're involved. This is a brilliant idea. And it was, like I said, it's not mine. It's from something much smarter than I. Um, and it was a way to get them um, involved in their program saying, okay, you want to see me once a week. It's going to be four grand. This is what you get. You get 24-7 access to me. I'll go shopping with you. I'll help you read food and great labels. Um, we will, um, you know, we'll meet once a week in the studio. You have 24-7 access to my studio as long as I know you're healthy and fit and you're not a, um, a, a liability in the studio, like you have heart conditions or anything. 
Um, but that, that's what you get. You get access to the studio and I have a key. You can come in anytime you want. You're in beautiful studio in the woods, privacy, small studio, uh, 24 seven access to me, any questions you have and you get that one appointment. And the thing is, Jason, when you get people stepping up financially, I never say no. So if a client said, I want to see you twice this week and they're paying me a big number, I'm not going to say, no, you're only paying me for once because they don't take advantage of you when they know that your primary motive is not to buy a fancier car, live in a bigger house, join the local country club. They know you're there to help them and you're caring, passionate, and knowledgeable. And tell, yeah, and tell the people how this business model has benefited you because am I wrong to say that all you're getting extra time by charging what you're worth yeah. and then you're investing back in yourself and you're showing up a better person, which helps them in the long run. Cause the old trainer model, right? The old coaching model, you're showing up a, a broken mess most of the time. Cause you're sort of exhausted. Am I wrong? So true. Absolutely. Yeah. I was okay. a mo and, and you know what? And that really, that really, added to the gambling addiction because there were so many hours. I mean, I could give you a name for every hour from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. with a 12 to 3 break to see my wife and daughters for the first 15 years of my practice from 97 till about 2012. And then once I got this, you know, this pivotal client who helped show me a different way and then the meditation, um, I knew. So I would write myself notes at the end of every week and I always said making good money, but way too busy. Don't have enough time for the girls. I want to exercise more. I want to meditate more. And at that time, I was beating the living daylight side of my body. I was running marathons. I was thinking about doing triathletes. I was because I was running away from myself. I was beating myself up. So I said, okay, Mark, what is it that you want? And I said, okay, this is what I want. I'm going to break it down. And this is totally original. I didn't read it from Tony Robbins. It just like, like the model, the business model came to me. I want four things that my business provides. Right. I want financial prosperity. I want to be able to make enough money where I can pay the bills, go on a couple of nice vacations with my wife and daughters, live in a nice community. I want that financial prosperity. Secondly, I wanted to have a grateful and generous heart. I wanted to share it by how I showed up. Like you're saying, Jason, I wanted to my clients to feel my energy by me loving my life. And I was going to be grateful and I was going to be generous with people who couldn't afford my services or with my students teaching at the university. I taught one class a semester at where I got my undergraduate degree. So that was the second part, financial prosperity. It was like four wheels in a car, on a car. Right. If you have three wheels, the car is not going to run. So the first wheel was, yeah, financial prosperity. The second wheel was I'm going to have a grateful and generous heart because I know what it is for life to suck, to work in a fish plant, to work in the post office, to be miserable. The third thing I wanted was to self-actualize. Those were Abraham Maslow, the great 20th century humanistic psychologist. He taught here in Brandeis in Massachusetts, and he calls self-actualizing being the best version of yourself, being all you can be, that whole army slogan. And I said, okay, that's going to be the third wheel be all that you can be. Does this job bring out the best version of Mark Provost? It didn't as an hourly personal trainer, but as a quarterly health psychologist, oh, it did. Because it allowed me to do more than just count reps. Right. I could get into people's heads. I could help them with the nutrition. I could get into their subconscious programming. So that was the third piece, being the best version. One, financial prosperity. Two, having a grateful and generous heart. 
three self-actualizing. And here's the most important part, the, my most important wheel, time affluence. Right. I want to make enough money where the most important assets I have, most important, are where I put my attention, number one. And number two is I want my, not, my money to buy me time. Time. And why time is so important? Because I'm around so many wealthy, super wealthy individuals in my practice. And I, I didn't want to model my life. They, they, hey, they're on their journey. They're making bundles. I didn't see happiness. I still saw lots of addiction. I still saw an addiction to money. And I know you said last week that that was probably my, my, you know, my issue is I could make more money, but I thought, no, no, I want time affluence. I want those four. What is time affluence? It's playing 12 hours of tennis a week. It's walking my dog every day in nature. It's spending a ton of time with my daughters. Like my daughter is a very competitive very talented tennis players. One of them plays in college. Another one's a star in high school. My wife's a good tennis player. That doesn't happen if I don't stop gambling 10 years ago, because I would have been watching games, but instead of watching games, I was on the tennis court with my little girls. Right. So, so I was able to do that. So, and then I was able to um, read great books. And when you read great books and you listen to great podcasts, it opened up that time. So I like, for instance, I'm not on Facebook. The first Facebook group I ever got on was this self-sabotage group. And I don't even like it. I love you, Jason, but I'm going to tell you something. You look great in that sports coat at that wedding in Latvia. But I, it's not where I want to put my attention. Now, Absolutely. I love the podcast. You know, I want to be on spiritual media, not social media, because right. I have a friend who lost his son due to this shot. Right. Where I grew up, to be all serious. I have a friend who lost a shot. He's on Facebook with over 100,000 people in a group talking about the dangers of this vaccine. And they cut him out. They literally dropped the 100,000 people. Call it Zuckerberg, call it whoever you want. This isn't conspiracy. This is real life, people. Do I really want my energy to go into Facebook? Even though if I go on Facebook with my story and what I can teach people about you know, emotional, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and financial well-being. I call it the ESPNF model. Right. Do I really want to be on Facebook? And for me, the answer is no. Yeah, and that's what I want people to hear. Yeah, it, you can do. You can get the. You can get the dream life with a with a focused model that's sustainable. And I think a lot of people might be missing your spiritual aspect where they don't understand how meditation works by maybe you could give us a little introduction because the word is not overused, but very popular. People don't really know what it entails. I've just started using it. And, you know, there's repetitive phrases that I say to myself and, you know, I have a little meditation app on the phone. And sometimes I drift off. And then when I, when I sort of regain consciousness from sort of a sleep or, a, you know, going into trance a little bit, cause I'm saying the same thing over and over again. And, um, you know, the benefit for me seems to be that phrase, see what comes up. And of course, as a person who meditates, I just, the first question is someone in the material world, even though I do a lot of, you know, research, I say, what do you mean? 
some see what comes up. What is this sort of bullshit? Mm. And do things ever come up? Like old memories, old scenes, old feelings. Mm. So tell me, if, tell the listeners, if I, I, I might be completely off, but tell them what meditation is. Tell them what this means, something comes up. And how does, it, how does meditation make your life better? Oh, wow, great questions. Um, so when I took that 21-day challenge in 2007, I did it on Hay House with a client. And um, she was a great woman. I loved her. And I remember I could only meditate five minutes a day because I couldn't quiet my mind. And at that time, like most people, I thought meditation was about clearing the mind. And it isn't. As you said, Jason, it's seeing what comes up. And meditation just means to make familiar with yourself. And so what you do is you get into that alpha brainwave where you literally get quiet and still. And I call it my BBM model. BBM. You relax the body. You focus on your breath. And once you do those two things, the mind will automatically quiet. And, it, and as you said, Jason, your mind will drift. But that's like being in the gym. So if I'm on a mantra, like, for instance, Tuesday, today's Tuesday, I took a beautiful run this morning. Um, at the end of my run, I did some hills. I spent 30 minutes in the sunshine, you know, sitting under a tree. And I literally just said, I love you, Mark. I am healthy. I am strong. I am God. And I am grateful. Over and over and over. And then the mantra, which just means mind tool in Sanskrit. The mantra kind of goes away and then you just start hearing the birds and you start quieting down the anxiety and the worry and the fears that all 7 billion of us have. And then your higher self, you begin to remember who you truly are. You begin to remember that you are God. You know, we don't need a minister or a priest. I'm not saying I'm a God. I'm saying I am God, just like Jason's God, just like all your listeners. We are all God. And that's what this whole agenda has been about to take us away from who we truly are. And the number one way to do that is through fear. So when you meditate, you quiet down that voice of fear. You get into a very low brainwave. And sometimes you can nod off, but it's like your whole self-sabotage program, Jason, where, you know, you hack your environment. So your subconscious mind sees, I love you, Mark. And you might have passwords that say, I love you. Um, and then you have inspirational. Uh, messages all over the place. Or if you go to sleep at night, like I'll go to sleep. Like my meditation on Mondays is love you, Mark. I am fearless. I am free. I am God and I am grateful. So every day I have two different words in the middle there. And I take that into my sleep, into my brain waves. And what you begin to do is you literally, you literally start to change yourself from the inside out. And if you want belief in this, I'll give you two great books to read. Great books that absolutely back your whole program, Jason. Uh, the, the, the Power of the Subconscious Mind, written in 1965 by Joseph Murphy. It's a brain changer. I've read that book so many times, and it's exactly what your program is, Jason. It's why I was familiar with all your work when I started listening to you two years ago. He explains that the more times you go into your own self with quiet and stillness and silence, the more you're able to remember who you truly are. And that's this infinite loving intelligence. And that will bring out your best self. You don't even need to read books. 
you know, Carl Jung, the great 20th century psychologist called it the collective collective consciousness. You will be able to tap into your ancestors' knowledge. It sounds crazy. It sounds, think about the word library, library, books. Even though I love to read, it, it, you don't need to, but you'll want to. So I tell people when they ask me my secret, I say it's 90% meditating and it's 10% reading. So the meditation quiets me. It takes out my fear. It takes out my anxiety and my weary, my worry, and it brings my highest self. And it can, and I can't hear, oh, I'm not good at meditating. I, I can't sit still. And that's an excuse. Just sit with yourself. And every time your mind wanders from your anchor, which is your mantra, that's like doing a bicep curl for your bicep. That's good because your mind says, whoa, whoa, I'm supposed to be saying I am healthy and I am strong. And I'm thinking about that son of a bitch who cut me off in traffic yesterday and I wanted to give him the finger. And you just bring it back to I am healthy and I am strong. And that is a bicep curl for your mind. It's mental hygiene. So actually... And let me just close on this because it was such a great question. The average human being has 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday. And 80% of those thoughts are negative. So what made Mother Teresa so special or Gandhi or anybody that they only had 50% negative thoughts? They still had 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 90% of them were from yesterday. But instead of 80% of them being negative, only 50% of them were negative. So I kind of figured early on that if I could change that mindset where I could those loving thoughts, like I'll flood my day with, you know, twice a day meditation. I've already done tapping. When I take a shower, I tap and I say positive messages. I'm constantly saying, I love you, Mark, all day. Um, I chant when I'm in nature with my dog. Because my neuroses, and I still have them, are doing push-ups outside my bedroom window every night. They can't wait to get back in, my fear. I just won't let them. So when you meditate, you bring out the best version of yourself and just stick with it. Now, what do you say in the morning? Don't you have a special phrase you have in the morning? Well, that's mirror therapy. So I learned from Louisa Hay at around that same time, 2012, where when you face yourself in the mirror and believe it or not, great point, Jason. I'm happy you remembered that because that's the hardest part. When I bring this technique to my students and my clients, and even though they're paying me a bundle, they still can't look themselves in the mirror. I'm talking hundreds of millions of net worth. I'm talking billionaires who some of them literally can't look in the mirror and say, I love you, Mark, or I love you, John, or I love you, Tom, or I love you, Jane. So my, what I do for the last 10 years, and this is powerful, and this goes right along with meditation. If you just did this and said, I'm not going to spend that time in stillness, you would benefit so much. And here, every morning I wake up, and this is totally original. I created this, not mirror therapy. I learned that from Louisa Hay from Hay House Radio. She's got an amazing story where she healed herself of cancer, got away from the medical mafia and all their toxins and poisons of chemotherapy and radiation. I mean, it's all a joke, right? Here it is. I love, except as I'm looking into my own brown eyes, this is important because we're used to having someone like a parent or a school teacher or a minister put us down at a young age and we're looking at them. So you need to look back at yourself so you can speak to that inner child. So this is what I say. I say, I love, except 
respect, and trust you, Mark Anthony Provost. I am so proud of the person you have become and are going to be. I am grateful and I am honored to be you. Life loves me. I am going to expand today in success, abundance, and love as I inspire those around me to do the same. Thank you, O Lord, for enveloping me in divine healing and loving energy, in healing my mind, body, and spirit. I am the consciousness of you in action. I am you, O Lord, and I am so grateful for that awareness. I love you. I trust you. I thank you. I am you. I love you, Mark. Beautiful. And I'm telling you, if you just do that, because you're looking at yourself, that is so powerful. And I got told by a client of mine, a very wealthy client, who said, you got to put, you got to go on YouTube. You got to do this. You got to do that. This is, this is a $10 million a year message. You are, you are so underperforming. This, because this one client did it for three months. And even though he was richer than Croesus, his whole life started to improve. But what happened was, like you talked about, Jason, and know better than anyone, the subconscious mind came in and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. The program started coming back. So he, he started, you know, faltering and going back, even having me as a confident and an advocate. It's hard to overcome those subconscious programs. And now he's not doing it anymore. And I'm still with him. And, but he struggles to do it. So it's that, it's that programming where, and I tell people, it has to be daily. Yeah. You can't go meditate for three hours or on a Sunday or just say it's Sunday morning to yourself in the mirror. You have to do it every day because your neuroses, that, that childhood programming, that style condition, that societal conditioning, that the cabal, you know, the TV, the politicians, the government, the education system, the economic system, religion, medicine, media, science, it's all a lie. It's all to make you your worst self. And I can give you book after book after book that I've read because I've had the time. And, 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 and the meditation has told me, like, does it make sense to put poison in your body to get healthy? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. really? Does it make, do, do you understand that in 1913, when the Federal Reserve came, that's the same time the IRS came, we were never supposed to pay income taxes. It got voted down 12 times from the Bill of, the bill of Rights in 1788 to 1913, 125 years. We want, you start, the truth start coming. I didn't read that. It started coming to me. And then you find books. It's just like I talked about earlier in the podcast, the tailwind. You'll find what you're looking for. So those are my big three staples. The meditation every day from 40 minutes to an hour in nature, being still, being quiet with my mantra. It's hard work. Just to let you know, this morning, running hills, I couldn't breathe. My heart rate was about 170 beats because I was conditioning myself at tennis. And I walk for a lot of it, too. But when I push it, I push it. And all I could think was, this isn't the hard work. The hard work is when I'm done with this run and I sit under that tree for 30 minutes. Right. Because that's why they do the tough mutters. That's why we run marathons. That's why we do triathlons, because we don't want to face ourselves. Right. So again, I, anything yeah. not to face yourself, right? Any anything, addiction, anything. anything. And then the third thing I do meditation, the mirror therapy. And even during the day, I'll look in the mirror and say, geez, I love you. You're a handsome guy. And that, I hope that doesn't come across arrogant because my, we all are. We all are. And the third thing I do is I write 10 or 15 things down every day since 2009 that I'm grateful for. Wow. And a lot of things that I'm grateful for, because I remember reading a book called Thank you. Thanks by Dave Emmons. 
And it talked about, you're going to get 25% more joyful and happier just writing a gratitude journal. And I, just, I write down the things that go wrong. Like I'm grateful to lose that tennis match. I'm grateful to lose my mind and break a tennis racket on the court. I'm grateful for speaking up to that client who was taking advantage of my time. I'm grateful for saying that thing I said to my wife, which I shouldn't have said, well, I don't want to be a shithead, but I, you know, so I, I'm grateful for all of it and all the good, the bad and the ugly. So those are my three staples, but I have like eight or nine and I call them life savers. Savers is an acronym, silence, affirmations, visualizations, exercise, reading, inscribing, which means writing. Wow. So I call them life savers. And that's where I am. And, and, and I just, if you do one of those things and, I, and here's the thing, and maybe it is my self-sabotaging because I can make a lot more money with what I know from the books and from the meditations. Yeah. But you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't get the time to read or you wouldn't get the time to I meditate. Would. You'd screw I it would. all up. I wouldn't, I was, and, and that, like, even on Facebook, I'm like, this is taking my attention. That inner voice who told me to leave the post office and told yeah. me to change my business model is like, yeah. get off of Facebook. You're on spiritual media. You don't want to be on social media, Mark. Right. Smart. I like the way I, and you just mentioned too, Mark, that you don't, you know, you don't, you mentioned the TV. Now I know through talking to you, you don't watch TV. No. Can you explain to people the obvious and maybe not so obvious reasons why you abstain from the TV. Well, that happened organically as well. When I was gambling, it was always on. There was always commercials on, even when my daughters were very, very young. Um, but it just, like we talked about the tailwind. I can't say that enough. I watched, I do watch TV. I watch tennis, professional tennis. Yeah. And I almost yeah. gave that up when the Australian Open wouldn't let Djokovic in because he's my hero now. That guy is my hero. I mean, I always love Novak, but so I want to be a better tennis player. And I played a, a pretty high level. I mean, I mean, what is a high level? It's all relative. There are people who can kick my butt and, but I want to get better. So I watch players on TV because I know they're hacking my subconscious mind. I know that my mind's taking in the way that the, you know, the way that Roger Federer serves. I know my mind's taking in the way that, uh, you know, Iga Swiatek is returning a serve. My subconscious mind is watching and it's programming me. And I'll do things on a tennis match that I'm like, I couldn't do that. And my wife's the same way. She actually taught me it because she loves watching tennis, but we will have nothing on besides that. Right. We know that the media is lying. Everything that you hear on TV is a lie. It's complete propaganda and it's very sad. And they're just hacking our subconscious mind. So I don't watch movies. I'm gifted. I'm very grateful because I never tried coffee in my life. Yeah, you also um, don't drink alcohol, right? Never, so what, I, got, I got drunk when I was 16, six cores light before a baseball game one night and alcohol has not gone to my body. And I always say the greatest thing my wife and I have done for our daughters is they've never seen alcohol or coffee growing up. My wife doesn't drink coffee either. So wow. my mind, I feel once I got rid of the gambling was now a divine mind where, and if that sounds arrogant, it, it isn't. It's now it can channel through me. God can channel through me because I don't have these, you know, addictions. I don't, I'm not dependent on that caffeine, that alkaloid poisoning. I'm not dependent on, you know, the alcohol or I call it ethanol crossing my blood brain barrier and creating havoc in my brain. Um, you know, even 
from a food standpoint, as I told you last week, Jason, I'm a hundred percent. I have been around since that same time, plant-based eater. And everybody wants to argue about what the right diet is. And there's a reason why it's called diet. I don't want to talk about diet. It's lifestyle. I, I don't believe in eating flesh. Um, I was always a meat and potatoes guy, but my best friend in the world is my dog, Max. I don't understand how eating a cow or eating a pig or eating a sheep, sheep, sheep. They're my brothers and sisters. I don't want to eat them. If Jason does, or if anybody else does, that's your business. And you know what? I respect your decision. But for me, it's about eating whole food, plant-based diet and, and, and feeling that beautiful energy that comes from that. And so, you know, that's what I do. And it gives me so much energy where I'm 53 years old right now, but I feel like I'm 20. Um, I go out and play guys half my age in tennis. Uh, just to give you an example, I did that run this morning. I'll play with my oldest daughter after I'm done with this talk. Um, she and I will go out in the tennis for an hour and a half. I have some training appointments this afternoon. And then I have a match tonight at eight o'clock against a real good player. And that's going to be like two hours on the court. So, but it's like easy. It's easy. Now, what time do you have today for the interview? You got another 15 minutes? I get all the time you want, Jason. Okay. All the time you want. Okay, now we'll get into some little bit of harder questions. Um, in your opinion, what has been going on since March of 2020? Maybe another reason why I wouldn't be good on social media because I'd be censored within the first five minutes. But when you, when you, when you, you under, we get kicked off. Well, it's hard for me because as I said earlier in the podcast, I believe in authenticity. I believe in honesty and transparency and vulnerability. There are two types of people in the world, Jason. There are people who research and they're the minority and there are people who repeat. I never forget, I think I read that Socrates and repeating. But once you understand there's an inversion epidemic going on right now, and then if you dig deep, where did that inversion epidemic come about, you know, and I say this name and I'll lose all credibility with many people, especially in academia. But when you listen to David Icke, he says it perfectly. I'm not sure if David Icke is controlled opposition and it doesn't matter, but he's telling the truth. And I've done, I've gone down those rabbit holes. I've gone down them so much. And when you understand that all you got to do is read, you know, uh, Cruikshank, uh, 1889, the, the most celebrated microbiologist in London, Edgar, um, uh, I'm trying to think, March Cruikshank, uh, the, the vol volume one, the history of pathology and vaccina vaccination. He explains, he had original documents that vaccines are used by the government to make their society sick. The, the, the Spanish flu was a lie. It was a bac bacterial meningitis. Read Eleanor McBean, The Poisonous Needle. I can give you a book. I can give you hundreds, if not thousands of citations. So what's been happening since 2020 is there is a con job going on right now. There was never a virus. There was never a virus. People were dying of fear. Go read Bruce Lipton, The Biology of Belief. People were dying of fear. Notice everybody was dying in nursing homes or in hospitals because of the treatment, because of the remdesivir or the metrazolol in England or the ventilators or, uh, or whatever medication, isolation. We're humans, we're pack animals. We need to be with each other. When you're told you can't see your loving daughter or your son, or your husband, you might as well die right there. So COVID, obviously, your, your listeners know it hasn't been purified. It has never been isolated. No virus has. 
Now I vaccinated my daughters. I'm vaccinated. I didn't have a choice. I didn't know what I know now then, but I was one of those researchers and not repeaters. And I wanted to find out. So I went down and I read about 15 books and it took me about six months, including the, uh, the Crookshank book and many books by a man in the early 20th century being J.H. Tilden, who I'm reading right now before this podcast, I'm reading a great book of his called Constipation. And he's showing me and teaching me things about my own digestive system that are blowing me away. I couldn't do that 10 years ago because of my business, right? So it's, it's just all a farce. It's all a farce. And I'll put it this way, because people understand quotes better than they do a long story. There's this fabulous, I'm not sure if he's still alive. He is a French Canadian astrophysicist, one of the most brilliant men in the world. His name was Hubert Reeves. And Hubert Reeves has this amazing quote. And I'm going to read you the quote. It's just the greatest quote. Here it is. Human beings are the most insane species. We worship an invisible God and destroy a visible nature, unaware that the God we worship is the nature that we destroy. So I heard that about 10 years ago. And now very few people I've ever met in my life are both intellectually, have high intellect and have high intuitive nature. Hubert had them both. So I took that quote and I changed it when it came to this whole vaccine. I said this, and this is original, and this came to me during meditation. And once out of meditation, I write it all down because you lose it, right? I write it. I, this, is, this, is, this sums up what I think since March 2020. And this goes along with polio, which was a lie. That was World War III. The Spanish flu, smallpox, it's all a lie. Here it is. Human beings are the most insane species. We fear an invisible microscopic pathogen and we inject a visible experimental vaccine, unaware that the vaccine we inject is the pathogen that we fear. Wow, man, that's exactly, that's bang, it. Bang on, that's it. When I say that to clients, if anybody asks, and, I, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm like one of these, I can't speak to most of my clients, especially a couple of my high paying clients, because if I said that quote, they may fire me. I, and, 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 my, and my lifestyle, it, you know, is dependent. I, sometimes I feel like a sellout in a way, but I only speak when spoken to. Now, if they ask me, I don't, there's no such thing as contagion. It's why it's still called the germ theory. Right. You know, Beauchamp, there are so many 19th century, they've all been completely and utterly censored, just like a doctor if he's coming out now against COVID narrative. There's no such thing. You can't get other people sick. There's only one illness, one illness. And that's where J.H. Tilden is toxemia. It's the food we eat. It's the alcohol we drink. It's the coffee we drink. It's everything you say, Jason. It's especially the emotional stress because emotional stress shuts off your adrenals, and it turns up the cortisol and the epinephrine, which shuts off our immune system, which gets us sick. So once you realize that, and the medical model is perfect because it just tells people, take this vaccine, take the remdesivir, take the Lipitor, take the lisinopril for your blood pressure. And these are all standard of care. The people don't understand the doctors, their medical school was paid for at 80% by the pharmaceutical companies. It's all a lie. 
Absolutely. All one big lie. So, and then when you begin to understand mRNA, so I've taught classes on mRNA, exactly how mRNA works. It doesn't work the way it's not supposed to come from in a needle in a lab. It's supposed to come from our nucleus. So I don't want to get too scientific now, but when you understand what transcription and translation and how the human body makes new proteins, that's not what this is doing. There's no spike protein. There's no such thing. That's what I tell. I mean, I've There's given no whole podcasts on that. If you look at a cell dying, and this is once again, J.H. Tilden, the most brilliant doctor. He was 40 years as an allopath in the last 30 years of his life was a naturopathic doctor, 70 years as a medical doctor, born in 1860, died in Denver in 1950. The most brilliant doctor you'll ever read. He's got three great books, Toxemia Explained, Cures and Causes, and I'm reading his third book now, Constipation, all written from 1910 to 1930. That was the golden age back then before the Rockefeller cartel and the JP Morgan cartel took over with the Federal Reserve and you know the phony World War I and World War II, which was all created for this by the same ruling elite, these, these families, these apex predators. I know it sounds conspiracy theory, but once you dig down there, it, it isn't. But once you realize that, so when a cell begins to die and when you inject poison, it goes through a six stage process. And in the fifth stage before it turns into ash, it shows a spike. Yeah. The, it's, isn't that the proteins sort of yeah, spiraling it out of the- spiraling. Yeah. But yeah. it's actually very important because all of cell birth, life and death are a continuous, seamless process. So when a cell dies, that toxic ash left over from one of our cells creates the life of a new cell. Right. So you need toxemia in the body. But there are only live enzymes, microbes, and white blood cells. That's all there exists. This whole thing about innate immune system, adaptive immune system, interferon immune system, it's all lies. Virology is a lie. Absolutely. If you look at the father of virology, his name is Charles Rivers. And no, it's not. It's Thomas Milton Rivers. Forgive me. There's, there's a river in Boston called the Charles River. His name is Tom. He's the father of virology in the 1890s. He was on the Rockefeller pay, payroll. Totally part of the Rockefeller Foundation. And just to clarify for people in the show notes for this podcast, we'll link, we'll link as much of the information as possible, plus maybe eight or nine documentaries that prove positive what Mark's saying and what I've, I've also discussed in the 150 podcasts I've done before this. Is yeah, that, and, yeah. and you look at vaccinology. You know, you look at vaccination, the father of vaccination was a man named John Enders. Once again, in that same time frame, John Enders. He literally won a Nobel laureate over polio. And all you get to do, John Enders was a fraud. He was totally paid off by the Rockefeller cartel. So once, and I, and I, you, there's a book by Max Muller. He was the head of the Rockefeller Foundation for 40 years. And he sang, he told all the truths. And you literally realize the whole vaccinology, virology, is a complete and utter lie. That's why when Peter McCullough and everybody's talking, even Robert Malone about spike protein and about COVID, there's no such thing. The only thing that gets you sick is toxemia. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I assume personally that there were so much toxins in the shot that mm -hmm. if you ever managed to secure a sample, you yeah. would see the spike, which really indicates the death spiral of the cell that you're looking at. 
So you right. you would you would always whatever slide you would pull out of someone that was vaccinated, you would see a lot greater frequency of the spike. So I think they they move the spike sort of definition or the phrase into in, inside the you know the repetitive programming to to make sure people had a a switchblade excuse for what they're going to see under the slide for the vaccinated people. Right. And the problem with the, with the vaccine, the main problem with the vaccine, and this is the number one problem. And, and when you inject it, and I don't know, like you said, Jason, our 5% of the batch is creating hundred percent of the deaths. I know that's what you, I'm not sure. I, I'm open to that. I, I trust your knowledge, but what I know for sure is hopefully there's a lot of saline out there. Cause it'd be too obvious if people were dying right and left. Right. So this, this, as you said, this group is very intelligent. They know what they've been doing it. They know what they're doing. But what happens is when you inject a nanolipid particle, think of that as a bus, that nanolipid particle, which is a fat, it's a lipid, it's positively charged. It has an ionic positive charge. So that means anything that that lipid particle is carrying is gonna get injected all over the body because every cell in the human body is negatively charged, positive, right. negative. Think about your battery. Yeah. What is it carrying? Is it carrying graphene oxide? Is it? I don't know what it's carrying. It's not in my body. <laughs> so I don't know what, thank God. It's not in, but it's going to bring it. And when they said it was going to stay in the arm, I knew well before it was fraud. But I knew once they said it's going to stay in the arm at the location site. And I, I've talked to this about my doctor. You know, my doctor before COVID was my best friend. He was a functional doctor. To this day, he's still my family's doctor because I don't know who else to go to um, if there was an emergency. But my... I, al I always tell my clients and my friends, I'm my doctor. I don't, I, I'm not going to trust someone who's 80% of their education has been, you know, paid for by big pharma. So what you have to realize is that that's going all through your body. And you've given podcast, I believe it was podcast 119 about how to heal after the shot. Stop taking the boosters. Every time you take the booster, you increase your chances of, and the question I get from people, whether it's a client, and I can tell you this, in my small sample of clients, 15, I have five unvaccinated and 10 vaccinated. And I know it's a small sample and you can't go by it, but my 10 who are vaccinated are sick every week. My five who aren't are never sick. And maybe that's bias on my part, but it's what I see. But I tell my, cli I tell my clients, you know, just stop, stop injecting yourself because every time you inject yourself, you're weakening your immune system. And they say, why would the government do this? That's the thing. How would the government be so nefarious? And the bottom line is people can't sleep at night knowing what we know, Jason. They wouldn't be able to sleep at night. So what they do is they lie to themselves. Like you said in that great Kristoff report the other day, they're just kicking the lie down the road. And that's where the censorship comes in. Yeah, they kick the can down the road. I mean, the censorship can. And, you know, the, the clients you have, that don't want to face the truth about themselves or they're, that they're naive or brainwashed, they're as interested in the censorship as uh, the doctor that killed the child with a vaccine. And that's yeah. what happens in evil societies, right? Yeah. That's what happens where everybody sort of has a vested interest in the lie continuing. Because yeah. whether it's my parents with the lie of circumcision, they hold a little bit of guilt. They won't openly discuss it. Yeah. Um, you know, and they listen to all my podcasts, so they'll listen to this one too. Uh, no offense, mom and dad. 
Right. But uh, but this is a lot of people have a vested interest. Like I said, a teacher teaching the kids that there's a hundred genders, or a police officer, even in my local town, who can't press charges on the local health czar uh, for murder, which he's done. He's murdered people in his community. He's getting paid three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to murder people. And is a police officer allowed to lay a charge? No. So there's so many people with a vested interest to kick the can down the road in a censorship-based society. Because if they ever, the truth ever got out, they realize that they're, they've participated in pure evil. And it's a money, lot of people can't take it. It's money over morals. We're all putting money over morals because what this evil group has done so well is they've created survival fears. Because if you don't get the shot, you're not going to be able to feed your family. You're going to be homeless. Um, we all go there. And that's where the meditation really comes in. But all you really have to know is it's simple. I mean, we've gone through the PCR. You know, I studied in grad school, you know, with Carrie Mullis winning a Nobel laureate. It's just coincidental that he dies a month before the Wuhan. You know, he dies of some sort of liver disease. And, um, you know, a month before, because he was always on Tony Fauci about you can't use my test. Because all the PCR test does is it accumulates um, genetic material. It's an yeah. amplifier. It yeah. doesn't tell you what you have. So, and you know, the Neil Ferguson and the Fauci's and the Christian Drosten in, in Germany, you know, at the time of 2020, by putting this test. So right there, you know, you get a test that doesn't test for an infectious disease. And you can make the numbers any way you want because you're just amplifying genetic material, right? We all know that. I know I'm speeding a dead horse. But then secondly is the whole asymptomatic transmission. If I don't have enough viral load in me to be sick, I can't get you sick. That's one plus one equals two. And I'm hearing doctors, virologists, my own doctor say that that's not true when that was the gold standard. So the whole lie, the liar ear, as you would say, has been perpetuated by those two things, by a phony test that doesn't test for the test and asymptomatic transmission. If there was truly a virus, at least in the United States, the homeless population would have been destroyed. Decimated. And, and what we see today is that I call it the, the, the shoot a hostage mind control because there's doctors now, they see a, their friend fired for telling the truth and that firing will be on every newspaper in Canada or in the U.S. Because when you shoot a hostage, you invoke another form of mind control. Because the next doctor's like gives the vaccine that they know they shouldn't be giving. The patient dies or is crippled. Like there's a guy in Canada called Ch Dr. Charles Hoff. He was working at the, um, you know, the indigenous uh, community giving out in British Columbia, giving out the vaccine. And this is when the government's pumping the media cycle that Canadian, you know, the Canadian government is helping the indigenous communities when all they do is destroy them because they're the original people that wanted nothing to do with the system. And Charles Hoff notices that his patients are either dying or becoming crippled by the vaccine. And then so they just bring them out into the CBC and shoot a hostage and then every other doctor who, like you said, money over morals, and that's why they took the church out of the schools. And then here we go. And people are afraid now 
to be the next hostage when really they should be stepping up and saying, you don't have enough bullets to shoot us all. And yeah. people just don't even get it. But uh, here, let me let me get your opinion one more one more time on a final question. Um, well, I had a lot of questions, but what what's the advice here? How if someone's listening and wants to start to become better and participate in pushing back against the system, what would be your advice? First of all, the first the first um, thing I would say is you need to you need to start loving yourself. You need to have that relationship where you can count on you, where you don't need someone from CNN or Fox News or any of the or the, uh, or the BBC, where you become an adult and you take full responsibility for your life. It's all about ownership, and it doesn't happen overnight. So the number one thing I would say is to, to begin to love yourself. The number two thing I would say is it's really important. Whatever it is, and once you start doing that, you won't settle for a second-rate life anymore. Uh, you know, you will, you will actually do everything you can to pursue that dream. That's why for many people, COVID has been a very good thing because they've gotten rid of the job they didn't want to do and they decided to, to, to follow their own dream. And to become an entrepreneur, and think of the word entrepreneur, entrepreneur, it means from French, one who takes risks. You have to take risks like you were talking about when you emailed me today. No risk, no reward. So the number one thing is to love yourself. The number two thing is take a risk. What is it that God put you on this earth for? You can do it. Believe in yourself. And before you say, come on, Mark, I'm 55. I have a mortgage. I have three kids. You know, I have a wife. I have a, you know, I have a ex-wife, it's never too late because here's the deal. You want the money coming to you first. I don't mean to make it so much mercenary about money, but I mean, you're paying the government, I'm paying the government, all these tax, these taxes. And, and I'm not saying not to pay them because that's the way the system is. But you want to be, you want to have a job where you have direct access with people who are paying you, not an employer, definitely not a government employer. How's that working out for you? So I would say, I like to keep things simple, Jason, a three-step process. Number one, sell out. There is a rawness and a wonder to life. Pursue it, hunt for it, sell out to it. Do not listen to the whines of those who have settled for a second-rate life and want you to do the same so they will not feel guilty. Our goal is to not live long. Our goal is to live. That's a quote I had on my bedroom wall when I was making the change from the post office and that got me where I am today. So First thing, love yourself. Second thing is sell out. Believe. What is it you want to do? Find role models. If you find someone, something that you want to do, find people who are doing it. Like I can see myself being like a Jason Kristoff. We both have our strengths. I can see myself having a podcast, having a following, informing people. Maybe that's not in the cards. But what do I do? I listen to Jason Kristoff. I say, can that guy be my friend? Read. Read great authors, find out what it is you love to do and pursue it. So, and, and the third thing is, so love yourself. What is it you love to do? Believe you can do it. And, and the third thing is have this undying belief in yourself. Look at me. I'm one of four, no father, grow, grow up on welfare, had nothing, had a compulsive gambling habit for 30 years, was going nowhere, watching death and addiction surrounded. If I can do it, 
I'm not any more special than the next guy. It's just that, and I'll finish that great question on this. I just finished a great book by a man named Scott Peck. It's called The Road Less Traveled. And the last unit of that book is called Grace. And it's probably the best 40 pages of writing I've ever read. And what he talks about is at the top of that triangle, you have spiritual competence. At the bottom of the triangle, you have spiritual incompetence. And as human beings, we have this entropy, which means chaos that drags us down. And it's because of our own laziness. We all have it. We are all lazy. Jason's lazy. Mark's lazy. Vicky's lazy. Christine's lazy. We're all lazy. Where we tend through laziness and entropy to live the worst version of ourselves. So I think a spiritual incompetence as the worst version of Jason or Mark. But yet, at the apex, there's that spiritual competence. How do we climb that ladder when we have that entropy and that laziness? We start doing the practices that we've spoken about for the last 75 minutes. We start by loving ourselves in the mirror every morning. We start by spending five minutes of making ourselves familiar, which what meditation means with ourselves. And then we start taking action. What is it that you love to do? What fires you up so much that you would do it for free? I would do my job for free. I love training people. I love communicating. I love teaching people how to live healthier, happier lives. Like my friend Ron says, he, he's in the same profession that I'm in. He wants to help people live healthier, happier lives. So that's what I would do. You know, literally love yourself. What is it you love to do? Find role models who are doing it. They'll want to help you. If they don't want to help you, they're insecure and they're not worth their time. They're not worth your time. And the third thing is have this undying belief in yourself. What else is there? And do these spiritual practices. They'll change your life. And if you don't do them, that's the self-sabotage. Beautiful, Mark. That was awesome, man. That was exactly what I was expecting when I came up with this idea of interviewing powerful people. Well, thank so, you, so look, I really appreciate your time. I'm going to have to, I'll, when I hit the button, we're going we're gonna to cut off from each other. But look, I just want to, to heartfelt thanks for inspiring me. This is going to help a lot of people. Um, what is, uh, look, If I know you probably don't have a lot of time for clients, but if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? What's the email address? Maybe hit your website one more time. Uh, my website is provost, P-R-O-V-O-S-T dash training.com. Um, my email is mark, M-A-R-K at provost training.com. Um, and, you know, I, I'm even open to giving my cell phone if, if you're if, if someone really needs help or is that is that OK? Well, I mean, basically, yeah, sure. I mean, if you want, if you want to give it, you might like, you might get a whole fl flood of people. Sometimes it might be better to screen them and see what they're asking for. They might want to talk to you for two hours and read. It's really up to you. What, what do you think? You no, know, why don't we do this? Why don't I, why don't I give, you know, and also another email is markprovost.hotmail.com. Why okay. don't I give you those three? Yeah. Those, you know, those two, my website and the two emails. And, um, and I'll leave the cell phone number until I can screen you a little bit. But I will say this, that I would have probably screened myself 30 years ago. 
And I never, ever want to say no to someone who's in need. And I understand that there's my most important feature is time. Um, but I want to help and, um, and I'm willing to help. We can tell you want to help. We can tell you're channeling God. And if I were to change my diet, I'd come to you for what to eat. You look fantastic. I love your energy. And you can just tell you're connected and, you know, part of that light force that is channeling through many different people at this, at this juncture in time. So I really appreciate interviewing you. And um, thanks very much. Jason, it's a pleasure. And just let me finish with, you know what, your work um, is amazing. I knew right away that you were authentic. You were being honest and transparent. And you had that will to want to help as well. And uh, you got me through some dark nights during the pandemic. I knew there was another guy around my age who thought the way I thought. I didn't feel alone. So I just want to thank you for all that you do and me supporting your work. I can't think of spending my money any better. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. We're doing the same work. And now I know there's someone else just like me out there. It makes me feel great. So Wonderful. thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Okay. You have a good day. Good luck with your tennis tonight. All right. Thanks. I'm going to need it. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.